Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Booth, and I've been a clinical hypnotherapist since 2011. I specialise in helping people overcome anxiety and build confidence instead. This weekly podcast will cover a wide range of mental health issues related to anxiety, along with some helpful tips and suggestions that you can try at home. If you have any questions that you'd like answered in a future episode, then please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 2021 guest series. And in this episode, I'm joined by John Kenny, who is the relationship guy. This episode is really, really interesting. I really enjoyed listening to this back whilst I was editing it because there's so much useful information in this episode. If you're in a relationship that's struggling, then this episode will be really beneficial. But honestly, I think that there's so much information that will be beneficial to anyone. In this episode, we talk a lot about self-beliefs and how they impact us, how we work out what our core beliefs are, and also how we can change our patterns of behaviour that are not helping us. Make sure if you would like to check out John's work that you head to www.johnkennycoaching.com and you'll be able to find out more information about what he does and how he helps clients. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Firstly, I'd like to thank you very much for for giving us your time today. And I'd like to invite you to give us a bit of an idea about who you are, who you work with um, and where you've come from, really. Okay, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I'm John Kenny, and I'm the relationship guy. And I coach successful single people that struggle to find successful relationships. Uh, my background's in therapy, so I trained as a counsellor back in sort of 2004. And then met a coach back in 2012 and had some sessions with them. And they helped me to see that even though I kind of understood my own space, I wasn't really proactive in changing it. She helped me to kind of move my life forward. And then I decided that I wanted to add coaching to my skill set because it was good being a therapist and helping people through their issues, but I wanted to be a bit more forward focused and sort of not just understanding where you come from, but actually how you can get out of it as well if it's not serving your purpose anymore. Uh, and then decided to add some hypnotherapy to my uh, skills as well, and NLP, so Neuro Linguistic Programming. So I'm also a qualified hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner. And then in 2016, I decided to fuse all of those together uh, to form what I've called interpersonal relationship coaching. So my coaching comes from understanding our past, how we are influenced by our past and those experiences, and then what our beliefs might have then come from that. Um, and the meanings that we give to certain things and then helping people to kind of move forward from that space uh, and I've been doing that for about four and a half years now uh, focusing on relationships for about two years uh, niching on originally helping people that were stuck or encountering toxic and unhealthy spaces all the time and helping them to be more confident in managing those spaces for themselves and then uh, more recently moving on to try and help people to sort of understand why they may never have found the right type of relationship for them. Uh, again, going into the, the background um, of their relational patterns, their relational beliefs, and then helping them to kind of put themselves into a healthy relationship space with themselves so they can go and attract the right person for them. 
You talked about um, beliefs and mm. self-beliefs being one of the key aspects there. Yeah. What would you say in your experience are the most damaging self-beliefs that you come across? So we all um, have developed a certain core belief uh, and that will generally lead to every kind of other belief that you, sort of limiting belief that you carry. If you have a negative core belief, so you're, so I'll give my own an example. My core belief was that I was never going to amount to anything. So everything I put my mind to, whenever I reached a certain level of success in it, my brain would then say, but you're never going to be a success. So therefore it would then, I would then sabotage my own space in order to create what I believe to be true. That would be with, uh, I used to be an athlete. I ran for Great Britain and, and um, every time I was running really well, I would then distract myself so that then I could never achieve what I could have achieved. It, it's mostly played out within my relationships. And so I would sabotage every relationship that was good for me. And my beliefs around relationships were that they, they're, they're not healthy. Your love is not long-term and that uh, you can never really have the type of relationship that you want, which led me, led me to feel unworthy, unlovable, and all of the difficult limiting beliefs that I carried. And therefore I took that into every other relationship that I had. So if I had a nice relationship with somebody, I would then self-sabotage it because I wouldn't allow it as I didn't know how to experience something healthy. And then I would go for the same type of relationship that I was expecting. So then I would choose somebody that was that would lead me to a space where I would feel unworthy, unsuccessful, um, not enough, because whatever I did wouldn't be right for them. And then that relationship would come to an end and then I'd kind of go into the next one again, doing exactly the same thing. But that was all based on the belief that I was carrying around myself and relationships. Okay, so these beliefs that people have, they then lead them to go on and behave in certain ways. And presumably it's quite difficult to break out of those patterns of behavior. Yeah, because your belief is the belief, your belief is more the most powerful thing that you have. And your belief is always looking to be made true. The reason I say it's the most powerful thing that you have is because your belief is the only thing that can override your need to survive. So this is why people kill themselves. This is why people um, blow themselves up like terrorists and things is because they have a belief that what they're doing can't be resolved in any other way or there's no other option and your primary instinct of your brain is to to live um, and that's why beliefs are so powerful and if you have a set of beliefs they're your truths and your belief is always looking to be made real so if something happens I'll say, well, that's because of this. Well, that's because of this. So, so for instance, it's a religious belief. I might say, oh, that's happened because of God. So my brain is looking for a, a reason to explain the circumstances that I'm in. And if that doesn't exist, then I will look for things to make that truth real for me. So therefore, I need to keep reliving those beliefs because those beliefs always need to be made true. And that's why it's really difficult to step out of this pattern until you recognise that you're in it. So for people listening who might be thinking, that sounds great, all I need to do is identify my core belief and then decide if that's helpful to me or not. How does somebody go about working out what their core belief is? 
there's a series of things you can do. I mean, there's different exercises you could try. So there's a exercise I learned when I was doing my hypnotherapy training, which is a, a limiting belief exercise. And then you go through a series of questions to try and narrow down what the core belief might be. And that's how I uncovered my own core belief by doing that exercise. But you can generally figure them out by looking at people's experiences and then exploring those experiences by understanding what has taken them to a certain point. Because generally there'll be a theme throughout their lives, which you can then say, okay, what would that experience or those, those list of experiences led you to think, led you to believe? So for instance, if you were as a child given lots of love and affection, but then that was removed from you, then that could lead you to believe that love is not permanent. Affection is not permanent. If you were never encouraged or supported or understood as a, as a child, then you may then have a self-worth issue. So you might believe that you're not worthy of love. You can generally tell from if there's been a series of events that inform the way that your mind works, then you can generally figure out what your belief might be if those types of sort of more direct exercises don't work. Because sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint them down if by doing an exercise because people are not going to be able to follow the pattern and go into that space to be able to do that. But yeah, it's generally, I, I find when I work with my clients, if I can't work through the exercise with them to, to get them to follow the train or the, the kind of route that would take them to their core belief, then it's just about figuring out how your experiences might have affected you. On that basis that people kind of repeat the same experiences in order to make sure that whatever their belief they're holding on to ends up being proved correct is that how it tends to work for people yeah so they're, they're looking for an end result and or a, a need to be to be met and if we can figure out what the end result is that they're actually achieving every time or the need that they're meeting every time we can then figure out what they're their, their belief system what might be so how do these beliefs affect the relationship that we have with ourselves every belief that we have comes from ourselves um, so if we have a negative belief about what we deserve what we can have who we are as people then that will impact on what you allow into your life because you're going to gauge everything by your relationship with you so if you don't really love yourself or care for yourself or respect yourself or accept who you are, it's going to be really difficult for you to allow that in from the outside because it's not, it's not your truth. So if someone's trying to shower you with affection and make you feel valued, but you don't have that affection for yourself and don't value yourself, it's going to be really difficult for you to genuinely accept what comes your way. And therefore you're likely to reject that type of affection and then that can cause problems obviously within your relationship because the other person will feel like they maybe they can't do enough to please you or no matter what they try is never going to be good enough for you uh, that's going to make you want to back away if you've got maybe some kind of avoidant personality again it's like do you accept that and if you can't accept that what do you do with that do your barriers then go up so then you need to run away from it you might then find you're with somebody with an anxious attachment type that they're trying to give you lots of affection and you're trying to run away. So then they get really anxious and start chasing you. 
and then you sort of go around in circles with them all of the time because no matter how much they're trying to give you love you're not going to accept it and um, they'll then back off because of their anxiety or you'll try and make them feel better because of their anxiety and then they'll try and be all loving with you again and you'll back off and their anxiety will come back <laughs> so you, you're going to go around in circles all the time but uh, yeah, so if you don't sort of manage that relationship you have with yourself and have a healthy relationship with yourself, you're going to find it quite difficult to allow a healthy relationship externally as well. I think we've all come across, not necessarily in romantic relationships, but in work relationships or friendships, people who really struggle to take things like compliments. And it can be almost quite awkward for everybody involved when you say something quite genuine, nice, that you are thinking about that person. And then straight away, they're like, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. guessing that's an example of the sort of thing you're talking about. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's if, if someone sort of says, can't say thank you, that's very nice, then, then, then they're, not, they're not allowing that in for themselves. They're dismissing it immediately as something that could be true um, because their belief, it doesn't fit in with their belief system or their, their sense of self. Presumably with relationships and things, everybody is dealing with their own core belief. And so you end up with these different types of people in relationships together, yeah. all kind of doing their patterns of behavior over and over again at each other, around each other and near each other. Yeah. How does that affect things like long-term relationships? Can this go on for years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked with people in the past that have been in these types of relationships for 30, 40 years. And it's only when, by chance, actually, on one occasion, I was just having a conversation with someone at a networking event. And we were having a chat and they went, oh, well, my relationship's okay. And blah, blah, blah. So we have these few issues. And gradually we got into this conversation. And it turned out that he'd been on this roller coaster with this, with his partner for sort of going on 30 years. And didn't really understand why and actually thought it was normal because again when we look at his childhood he had a very chaotic upbringing so therefore he chose somebody who also had a chaotic upbringing so therefore they were living in a chaotic space together and that just seemed like they're normal but actually was driving them both crazy causing endless amounts of stress and and I think I, if I remember rightly because this was a couple of years ago now his wife had kind of on and off depression as well because they were always buying into this and draining each other emotionally all of the time. Uh, he was very closed off to his feelings. So again, he didn't really go into the depressive state because he wasn't, he was always, always trying to kind of fight him, you know, avoid every emotion he could come across. Uh, whereas she would dip in and out of depression quite a lot because of the emotionally draining effect of their relationship. That sounds like a, a difficult situation to be in. Um, but presumably, once you understand it, you have a bit more control over it. Yeah, if you understand it, then you can start to work on it. It's when it's not even in your awareness. Like, uh, I think there was a study a while ago, and it said like 94% of the population just going around doing what they do. And don't take the time out to think about why they're doing it. So there's a very small percentage of people that actually, throughout their lives, these types of things come into their awareness. And that's why there are so many mental health problems, I think, in, in the world, because it's not explored enough. It's not made aware to people. They're not kind of really delving into what the real issues are and what the real problems are. And like you said, not being there, sort of taking control of taking control of their own circumstances a bit more. 
you know, resistance will kick in because if you've done something for a long time, then your brain is trying to keep you safe. But being in the same space isn't a safe space, but your brain thinks it's a safe space. So it says, well, if you know this, then that's where I'm going to keep you. And this is why we have a tendency to choose the same types of relationships over and over again as well, because subconsciously your brain's looking for familiar. It's looking for something the same because you know it's the same. And sometimes that's better than change because your brain doesn't know the unknown. You know, a lot of people don't like change. A lot of people don't like the unknown. Um, so therefore they stick to what they know because it's familiar, even though it might be the worst thing for them that they could be doing. Uh, and that's a lot of the work that I do with people is getting over that resistance point, you know, because we're trying to overturn lots and lots of information from the past that have formed kind of neural pathways in your brain. So they trigger off every time something happens or keeps you again, as it fires off, it says, I want to keep you in the same space because I don't know the difference in myself. Uh, and so we, we put the brakes on our lives and say I want to go back to what I was doing before and that's another reason why I wanted to get away from the kind of therapy side of things because that would happen quite a lot in therapy you'd see someone for quite a while or and then they get to a point where you think okay well now we understand all this and what we're going to do about it and then you never see them again and that for me became quite disheartening because I was thinking come on we could we could your life could be so much better um, some people would return later on when they were ready but some people you'd never hear from again. You think that's such a sad space. Um, I don't know where they've gone. I don't know if they've done anything with this, but now they can know that they can actually feel better in their lives. It's too overwhelming for them to step out of their normal space. Um, so yeah, that can be quite difficult sometimes when you're working with people. Yeah, I have a similar experience um, working with anxiety is a lot of people are almost a bit scared of being able to overcome their anxiety. Mm -hmm. And there is often a tipping point in sessions where we're getting to the point now where you really do have all the tools and the understanding you need to go on and take control of this. And there can sometimes be some challenge around that, mm -hmm. uh, challenge around their own personal beliefs, as we've been talking about, but also sometimes the way that other people perceive them as well. And that change process can be really hard mm. for an individual and for the people around that individual as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with, again, I, I, one of the questions I ask people is, what, who would you be without your anxiety? Who would you be without your depression? Would that be the person that you'd be happy with or comfortable with? And, and can you create an idea of what that looks like? Because like you said, with people that have had these issues for a while, it, in some way they define themselves by it. Um, and they wouldn't necessarily know what it would be like to let it go. And sometimes it's safer to hold on to it because it's that known space. And also, like you said, with that kind of influence of other people, there's a resistance in, ch in changing others as well. So if you're trying to make yourself different and feel better, if you're with somebody who wants you to stay the same or is more comfortable with you being the same, so especially with things like depression and anxiety, if I'm somebody who likes to care for you and you've got depression, I've got the ideal type partner because then I can be your carer, I can, I can be your nurse, I can try and look after you. But then all of a sudden, if you're coming out of your depression, where does that leave me? It leaves my kind of role that I've chosen to be with you for maybe a little bit redundant. 
um, so that I can have resistance and I can try and drag you back into the space which isn't good for you because it suits me. So that's another thing that we need to work on with people is to, okay, okay, you might find that some people aren't ready to accept the fact that you want to change or that you want to feel differently and act differently because they've got so used to you being thrown away and that might, might suit them. Um, they might try and drag you back into that space so that they feel more comfortable. I'm guessing for a lot of people, this isn't even a conscious decision. They're not even aware that that's what they're doing. I would say on the whole, that's the case, yeah. And, you know, there are some people that that are maybe manipulative enough to realise what they're doing. But on the whole, this is a very subconscious process because it's feeding our subconscious needs. For somebody who may be starting to realise that they always go for the same kind of partner, they always have the same issues in relationships, mm. where would you suggest that they start? First of all, to recognise that is a really good start and then decide if it's if it's time to change it. Um, again, to go back to my kind of personal story, I, although I've um, uh, recently separated from my wife uh, because I was still playing out my patterns, uh, it's a kind of an interesting choice story, really. I, I used to choose relationships where I would never feel good enough, but they were they were they were kind of abusive as well so they would be very volatile um, so highly emotionally fraught situations because that's what I grew up with at home uh, with my father then when I decided to that I wanted to change my patterns when I became somewhat aware although what I most of the kind of consciousness that I've had has been during my marriage so when I look back on when I met my wife I actually chose her because she was my mum rather than my dad. So there was still the same types of issues where I wouldn't feel good enough, but there was no volatility. So therefore, I thought I'd changed my pattern because I'd moved away from the chaos, but I'd chosen someone that I that that had would never really let me in. Uh, deep enough to kind of have a, a deep connected relationship but subconsciously I'd chosen her that for that reason because it kept me in my avoidant space but at the time I thought well there's no chaos here she's not a volatile she's not an angry person she's very sweet she's very nice but actually could still not be I still couldn't deeply connect with her and so I'd chosen her for that reason but I thought it was different because there was no chaos attached to it so yes, the first thing is to recognise what you're doing. And that's, that is a, a great start. Then it's to decide that you want to change it and have that within you to say, okay, I've reached a point now where I, I really don't want to do this anymore. And to start to think about what you do want. What do you want in your relationships moving forward? Uh, we're all very generally good at saying, oh, I don't want someone who does this. I don't want someone who does that. I don't want this again. I don't want that again. But actually that's going to just lead you say, down, down the same path. And I think, again, that's what I was doing. So I like to say to my, my clients, if, uh, if I go to the park looking to avoid treading in dog shit, what am I looking for? <laughs> yeah. I'm always We're looking. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. And you're always going to find that because that's what you're looking to avoid. So you might go to the park and look at the flowers and the trees and play in the playground. And occasionally you might step in a bit of dog poo. But then you just wash it off and go and get on your merry way and enjoy yourself.
But if I'm only focused on trying to avoid that one thing, that's the only thing that I'm going to look for. So the want list, I think, is very important. What do you want, not what don't you want? Because whatever you focus on, as Tony Robbins says, where your focus goes, your energy flows. Uh, and whatever we focus on is, is that's where our energy goes. It's the same with the depression and the anxiety. If I focus on my anxiety, I'll be anxious. If I focus on my depression, I'll, I'll be depressed. Whatever I focus on, my energy will go into that space. So when it comes to finding the right type of relationship, I need to really know what I want. Um, and then I can start to activate the part of my brain called your reticular activating system, um, which is your finding what you want part of your brain and that switches on when you say what do i want so if i said to you the next time you go out if when you're allowed to go out <laughs> uh, <laughs> look for as many red cars as possible you'll start to see loads of red cars because your brain uh, you've triggered that part of your brain that actually is is subconsciously without you even realizing it it's looking for the thing that you that, I've, that you're looking for so you'll start to notice all these red cars that you've never noticed before because that's become your intention um, so when it comes to relationships, it's the same type of thing. What's your intention? Get that fixed in your mind and then your brain will go, OK, if that's what you want, I will start looking for that for you. And even though you're not aware that that's what your brain's doing for you, you will start to notice different things coming into your life. On the surface, it seems like you've gone for completely different types of people. But then you realise actually that both of them fulfil the same role for you, just in a slightly different way, because there might be people listening who might not see the patterns in their relationships they might think well i've been with lots of different types of people and it still hasn't worked out so yeah. that's really interesting and probably for that person worth thinking about what yeah. were the maybe the deeper common denominators there and i think also what space do you end up in so do you end up in the space that you're searching for so are you looking to end up in your safe space so figuring out what your safe space was when you were a kid is really I think is quite important because if that's where you're still stuck you will keep going around in circles to return back to your safe space and my space safe space was to be by myself because that's where I couldn't get hurt even though I was missing out on the, the connection so I was choosing people that then would get me back to my safe space I knew that eventually this was all going to go wrong I would be by myself and that's where I would feel better even though I wouldn't actually feel good I would feel better and also to understand what the kind of patterns are within that relationship so not only where do you end up and what are you what what kind of beliefs is it fulfilling for you and once we can kind of figure that out we'll be able to kind of say okay I can see where I ended up there I ended up in this space where I felt worthless or I ended up in this space where I felt that nothing I ever did was good enough or I was sometimes we choose people that we need to feel better than because again our own self-esteem isn't really very good so we need to feel maybe superior to somebody so again if we can understand what our, what the ending space is okay the, i know this person's i don't feel like this person's good enough for me and again if i've taken that into the relationship from the start the likelihood is i've chosen someone that eventually i can say well this person's not good enough for me i need to get out of here and again do we notice a pattern there? So once we figure out what it is that our end result is, where does this actually lead us to? Then we can really kind of delve down into what those relational patterns might be. For people listening who might be thinking, I wonder what my safe space is. Mm. Um, you already mentioned that the safe space isn't necessarily the most obvious safety 
in the world because our brain thinks it's safe. Yeah. Without putting you on the spot too much, are you able to think of some examples of people's safe spaces, just so that anyone listening might be able to connect with the one or two of them? Okay, so yeah, so my safe space was being on my own. So to avoid all the chaos of the relationships when I was a kid, to avoid the pain of rejection, of not being loved and cared about, it was much better for me to just disappear to my room, play with my toys. Again, it gave me control over my environment. You know, I could choose what toys I played, or I could choose how I felt in that space. It was distracting. So again, did you sort of disappear to spend time on your own? You chase affection as a child. Was your safe space to, to chase? So I've uh, recently worked with a client whose parents were very much in love they were an only child but every time their parents showed each other affection then they would feel left out so then they would start to chase their love so their safe space their but most painful space was chasing so they would always end up chasing love and then getting that fulfilled for a short period of time until it was taken away again so their brain that familiar space was then was love rejection love rejection love rejection love rejection and so they then went throughout their life chasing relationships where they could be with people that would have to give them lots of love and affection to make them feel cared for but then reject when then but then would withdraw their affection and then they'd start chasing them and then they'd back off again and then the person would come back and give them lots of love and affection and then they would return that love and affection. Then this person would back off again and they'd go around in circles. So, um, yeah, so they, their safe space was to feel rejected. So they kept going through that cycle of rejection because that's what their brain said. Well, this is normal. This is where you feel okay with affection and relationship. So this is what I'm going to keep recreating for you until you realize it's not doing you any good. You could... Again, one of the things I mentioned earlier on, it could be, I need to feel better than. So your, your safe space could be, well, actually, yeah, here I am. I know I'm better than this person. So therefore I'm okay in this relationship. But again, there'll be maybe a lack of respect there. There'll be a lack of connection because if you feel better than someone, you're probably still gonna be a very unequal relationship. And the same as if you feel lesser than, if you feel lesser than someone and that's your safe space, you could keep choosing relationships where you feel uh, put someone on a pedestal. You may have idolised your parents in some way and never are able to see that your parents maybe have fallen from grace a little bit and didn't maybe treat you in the best way because you were always looking up to them. Uh, maybe they did. Maybe, again, we, we, we talk about perception here. Perception is a very strong part of this too um, because... Um, because your perception is what drives your reality. So it may not necessarily be even what you thought it was. So your parents may have been the best parents in the world, but your perception, so that that client I was talking about earlier on, their parents loved them very much and they gave them lots of love and affection. But when they were then loving each other, the perception was then, then her love had been withdrawn and then she thought she needed to go and chase that love. That wasn't real, she didn't need to do that at all. But in her little child brain, she was like, oh, well, you, you're not giving me love now. Does that mean you don't love me anymore? And then her parents would come back and give her lots of love because they never stopped loving her. So the parents didn't actually do anything wrong. All they did was show each other affection that she perceived as something that was about her and it never was. 
Um, so perceptions are also a major thing for us to look at and something that I do with, with my work that I do as well is how do you perceive certain events, even if they're not, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're real or not, it's your perception of them that's important. So um, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because I think often for people who aren't that knowledgeable about therapy, the process of therapy, I think there's often the idea that your relationships are only really affected if you've had a really bad childhood. Whereas it sounds like you're talking about even a really good childhood can still make us believe certain things about ourselves that put us into certain patterns, which may or may not be good ones. Um, I'm guessing you focus on the less good ones because people are coming to you for help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to hear that almost anything growing up could impact the way that we behave now. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I've spoken to, I've got a client at the moment and they spoke to one of their siblings about the stuff that we'd been discussing in, in the sessions and their siblings said, I don't, and I have no idea what you're talking about. And they said, well, this is that. And they went, that didn't happen. And they said, well, it did. And they said, well, they didn't treat us like that. And they, but they did. And they said, no, they treated us like this. So they've been having this really interesting conversation, opening some uh, really interesting kind of dialogue about how they've completely see their childhood in different ways. Even though there's like a year apart and they pretty much had the same upbringing, it was how they saw their relationship with their parents and how they saw the environment that they brought they were brought up in. And that's affected how um, they've, they, they've now grown up and had to, because their part, their sibling, has had a partner for 20 years and has been very happy and has no problems. But she's been in and out of relationships her whole life, finding people that abuse her and don't treat her very well because of how she saw her upbringing. And then her sister's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember any of that. I don't, I don't never felt like that as a child. So it's very interesting that you can grow up in the same environment, but just how you see your environment will affect how you then uh, develop as an adult. Fascinating. So for people now who are potentially struggling in um, a relationship, how would you go about starting to change some of these things? Yeah, so uh, I think like you said earlier on, being aware of it is, very, is the first thing. And then deciding that you're, you're in a space that you want to change it. Um, you can start to look at your, yourself. I mean, there's lots of things out there that you can do by yourself to kind of understand how you've developed as a person. I mean, there's some good books out there you can read. My one of them, mine's quite a good one. Uh, you can have <laughs> your book. What's your book called? <laughs> uh, so my book is called The People Programme. Uh, People is an acronym. It's a, it's a six-part kind of coaching book. But the first half of the book is about me and my life story. And then I kind of give examples throughout my life where this is why I felt this way. This is how I saw this. This is why I saw this this way. Then, then how that led on to everything else that then happened throughout my life. And then the second part of the book is to help people to kind of work through that for themselves and ask themselves the questions that I ask myself to kind of come to those types of answers. But there's lots of stuff out there for people to kind of just delve into to try and really understand themselves a bit more. So understanding kind of how you see yourself, what type of relationship, um, what kind of language you use as well is really important. So how many times do you should yourself? because it never feels good to should. Uh, uh, one of the first things I learned in therapy, actually, that I remember was that should's a shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good saying. I always ban the word should. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, and then have you'll be amazed, I think, of how many times you actually should yourself. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm very aware of it. Yeah, it is. It's one once you, it comes into your consciousness of how many times you say it, it's amazing. And shoulds are just rubbish because it's your should is an expectation. It's either an expectation of somebody else or an expectation you've set up for yourself. And it drives you to do things you don't actually really want to do. So it's really important you check in with kind of your self language. So do you, you know, if you do something, do you call yourself an idiot? Do you tell yourself off, you know, um, just to be really mindful of uh, how you relate to you. Um, because if you are telling yourself off in some way or very negatively talking to yourself, that's always going to make you feel quite rubbish. And that also probably means you allow other people to talk to you in the same way. Um, so you just, again, to be really mindful of that, that type of stuff too. And then, you know, put those things into practice. Think of a want list. Okay, if it's, if it's about relationships, what kind of person do I want to be with? What do I want from someone? Do I want them to be loving, caring, encouraging, supportive, to make me feel sort of secure and safe in some way? Don't use the negative words. So always steer away. So don't tell yourself that, um, again, it's not the don't want list, it's the want list. So it's, I don't want them to be abusive. I don't want them to be angry. I don't want them to be this, because again, that's all you're going to find. You're going to keep looking for the things you're not, you don't want to find. So keep them to positive words. Uh, if it's about anything as well, you know, if it's about your career or anything else you want to do in your life, it's about, okay, okay this is what I want this to be. And to put that kind of out there within yourself and say this is what I'm going to allow for myself in my life because this is what I really want uh, and see how you go with that because it's only once you start to really tweak those little things you can make a massive difference and then obviously if you need some help then seek someone who kind of really understands your issues someone who maybe um, you can, you can really help you to get over that kind of resistance point and if you want to dive a bit more deeply then generally I would suggest that speaking to a professional would be the way to go with that because it's really hard to self therapize, therapize yourself or self-coach sometimes because all you know is your own stuff and sometimes having an outside voice so again you could you choose a friend or a family member who you know is a little bit more uh, less emotionally maybe involved and it's not just going to say what you they think you want to hear and it's going to help you that someone you trust to go a little bit deeper into your own things to help you to explore those that could be really useful as well yeah i think that can be very useful because i work as a hypnotherapist a lot of my work is largely about teaching people how to control symptoms and things like that mm -hmm. so i often find myself recommending counseling for people who want to explore much more deeply why these things have become an issue in the first place. Yeah. So I think my work is valuable in terms of giving people those coping tools, which are really important. Um, but yes, going to see a professional counsellor for a much deeper exploration of those issues is definitely something I think is a really good idea and something that I've kept up for myself as well to make sure that I'm always working on whatever is coming up for me at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've got a coach that I speak to once a month and I've had, since I've been coaching, I have a supervisor for my therapy um, as well. Uh, so I take my, my kind of coaching stroke therapy cases because some people come to me for coaching. They just say, I know exactly where I am and exactly what I want. How do I do this? And some people come and say, I don't know where I am. I have no idea what's going on. 
please help me to understand this <laughs> so we can move forward. So I take those sort of cases to my to my, my sort of counselling supervisor um, to help so I can work through those kind of things with them and also any of anything that might be brought up for me because we know that when we're working with certain people, there's little buttons that might be pressed within your own world. You go, oh, I know exactly what that's like. But then you throw it out the window and you come back to it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's really, you know, it's really important as, as a coach, a therapist, whatever you might be, that you have your own way of exploring your own, your, your kind of your work as well as your own issues and things that might come up. So one of the psychological theories that we have discussed before the recording started that I'm very aware of as well is attachment theory mm. um, and this is how people relate to each other in relationships based on their experiences growing up yeah what kind of attachment styles would you say are the most problematic if you go down the kind of kind of straight kind of attachment theory which is a, a John Bowlby theory from I think it's the 50s he sort of states for types so there's a secure attachment which is someone who's had a secure upbringing and feels very secure in how they attach to people so there's no problems there generally um, then you have someone who's avoidant so when something happens they shut down and try and back away from the problems because that's the only way they that's how they learn to deal with it as a kid then you've got someone who's anxious um, so they have an anxious attachment and therefore they will become quite anxious around in relationships because they feel very unsafe and insecure so they you know they're, they're probably the kids that were screaming and shouting and crying a lot as a kid to try and get attention as children because they don't really know how to manage their the these things the, the things that are missing in the relationships and then probably the people that are worse off the avoidant avoidant anxious people they can have both because they become anxious when the affection is not there but then run away when the affection arrives so um it's really they they kind of really kind of struggle <laughs> to to be uh to be safe and secure um within themselves and also within relationships so one of the reasons that i brought up attachment theory is um probably the good news for people listening is that there's a lot of research to suggest that even if you have an attachment style that's not favorable to you it is possible to develop a secure attachment style yeah. through things like therapy working on yourself and your own patterns yeah. so i just wanted to kind of throw that out there as a there is a way yeah. forward for yeah, don't, don't be disheartened just uh, get the relevant help <laughs> yeah some people call it disorganized attachment as well so if you hear the phrase disorder if someone says oh you've got a disorganized attachment then that would be the encompassing of the of the uh, kind of i call them maladaptive attachments they you know that's that the problematic ones is disorganized or they will call it organized so my if someone says oh you've got a very disorganized attachment it means you've got one of the other of those kind of issues going on but yes of course i mean like i said earlier on i i've done a lot of work on myself my my avoidant attachment has been all the way throughout my life and um and when i met my wife it was still present and i didn't actually realize how powerful it was when i met her and it's only throughout the relationship again right when i wrote my book i made a documentary as well and that kind of really because i was self-focusing a lot and because i've learned so much in the last sort of five or six years about um, all of this stuff by really kind of diving deep into my own issues um, but also working with so many clients and bring these issues to the table um that now i'm 
I know that if when I feel that avoidance, I will not allow it to take control anymore because what I really want to experience is a very deep, loving, connected relationship. And um, if I keep being avoidant, I'm not going to have that. So I'm very aware now, of, again, of what I want. Um, and I know that I can put my avoidant issues to one side because I don't need those anymore to, to, to keep me safe in a relationship. Uh, and it's the same with the anxious types, you know, once you recognize what you're doing and understand the reasons behind it, you can say, okay, well, this happened when I was a kid. Now I know why I find it really difficult and why maybe I choose the types of relationships that keep me in this cycle. I don't want to do that anymore. And then we can start to override the kind of biochemistry and stuff that's taken place in the past and create new ways of thinking and new pathways for us to go down when we want to do it differently. So do you tend to work with individuals or do you work with couples as well? Uh, mostly individuals. I do work with couples, but because most of my work is around the relationship you have with yourself, the, the couple dynamics is really difficult to kind of do that in sessions, depending on some, sometimes with the couples, I sort of do a four hour session, it can be very intense, but then you can get down to what the relationship issues are based on the relationship issues from the past as well. And then we maybe have them, we'll have some sessions coming together to work on those within the relationship. Uh, but mostly it's, I do some group work as well, where it's people bring certain sort of issues and we sort of sit again, there's kind of a four hour session where we sit in a group and we talk about things. If people are open to kind of airing their, their kind of feelings and emotions and thoughts in, in, in a little group, um, which could be really good as well, because we can bounce off one another. Okay, I know that I do that as well. And some someone might notice something that I don't and say, oh, you said this earlier. And so that's quite good as well. But yeah, most of the work I do is one-to-one -one because that's when you can really sort of get under the, under the surface of a lot of things. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. There's been so much interesting stuff there. It's really good to hear about your book, actually, because it sounds like you've kind of used yourself as a bit of a case study. And then people can kind of go through the same process that you've gone through using the questions afterwards. Uh, that's why I wrote it, I think, in that way. It was because I know myself inside and out now um, and that awareness that I brought to my own life has made such a massive difference yeah for people to know that you can do this you can move yourself forward if you can really understand what drives you uh, I think was a massively important thing for me to put out there yeah because I imagine there's a lot of couples out there where they're both kind of dealing with their own thing really. Mm. And they're in their own little bubble trying to deal with all the things that come up for them on a daily basis. Yeah. And I imagine it's probably more important in a way that those individuals work on themselves before trying to come back together rather than trying to <laughs> battle out who's got the biggest problems and who needs fixing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because again, yeah, if you can, um... Yeah, the most important relationship is the one that you have with yourself because it will dictate every other relationship you have, whether it's friends, intimate relationships, parents, siblings, work colleagues. If, if you don't have that relationship understanding with yourself and the healthy acceptance of who you are, um, it's just going to play out in everything you do. 
Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you for having me on the on your podcast. It's amazing. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast for notifications on future episodes. And if you have the time to write a quick review, then that would be greatly appreciated. To find out more about me and the work that I do, please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com. That's the number two, anxietytoconfidence.com.